Well, good morning again. Thank you for joining us. I hope you are blessed this morning and you enjoyed our time of worship. And I hope it was a time to help uh, recenter, to help refocus, to help uh, us get in a place of coming to worship um, through song and praise in preparation of the hearing and teaching of God's Word and the work of the Holy Spirit through God's Word. We're continuing our time in Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, and I just want to encourage everyone before we get into our uh, review and introduction for our message this morning, just continue to pray um, not only for your communities, uh, but for our uh, nation, for the leaders, um, that we pray that uh, God's will will be done above all things and that Christians will act uh, according to God's word and not the world. And some of that we continue to look at in and through our time together in Romans um, as we continue our journey through this book, through this letter by Paul. Um, So far we have gone uh, through all of chapter 1, and now we are in chapter 2. And uh, we looked at verses 1 through 5 last week. Uh, 5, we will will take some time to... Uh, relook at five as we transition into verses six and seven um, here in a few minutes. Uh, but one of the things that we need to continue to see and understand within the context, especially in chapter two, in the beginning of there in verse one, it says, therefore, it's understanding that Paul is addressing the sinners. Paul is addressing those who have turned their backs on God. God has turned his back on them, completely removing his hand of grace from them, not protecting them at all, even as sinners and unbelievers, and allowing the full wrath of the world to come upon them because of their choices, because of their sinful desires and the unrighteousness within them. Um, it, 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 the scripture tells us of the hardening of their hearts, um, their desire uh, to want to just be inventors of evil, deniers of God, God-haters, and it is um, very clear and very precise uh, in Paul how Paul uh, articulates it here for us. And as we transitioned last week into chapter 2, um, seeing that there is also no excuse for those who think that they are righteous or upright in the world according to man. Again, these are lost sinners, but these are people who are essentially moralists, people who think that they do good things, they're good people, uh, and their good will outweigh their bad and ultimately show them favor in the end. But according to God's word, which uh, most of us know fairly well, this does not save you. Paul makes it very clear here that they will have no excuse as well, that they are Uh, condemned as well. They are sinners as well, and we see and we will see more of that in our message today and the ones to come. Um, Basically, they're worst off because they know that they have within them the desire to want to do good things, but because of their rejection of God, they can, nothing they do is considered good. It says essentially, Paul tells us that they are storing up wrath for themselves on the day of wrath, on the day of judgment. He also tells us that their sins, they do the same things, whether it's, uh, uh, even though it's not on the outside like we see with those in Romans chapter 1, but they do them either in private, in secret, 
in their minds, in their hearts. Um, they are adulterous people. They are murderous people. They are people that are living in a, um, just a vile, grotesque way. Um, and, but it's just not out in the open as we have seen in Romans, at the end of Romans chapter 1. So with that being said, um, one of the things that I want us to really look at and understand um, is, is, is a couple words. We're going to compare two words before we jump into our message, and I'm gonna, I'll break that down for you in just a moment. But we looked at the word judgment last week and how they will be judged. And that's going to continue on for this, for actually next several passages um, as next week we will conclude kind of this general setup of judgment for, um, for these people and then moving into a more clear um, understanding or detailed understanding of judgment for those um, that are Jewish. Now, with that being said, um, we uh, talked about and made it clear on, on how we judge um, or who we judge and what that looks like. Um, in our own lives, um, something that we may uh, fall into certain traps of comparing ourselves to others as opposed to comparing ourselves to Christ. And we looked at different passages on, on uh, how Christians are to judge, um, the discernment that we are given and how we are to use that discernment um, and the judgment that we are not to have. Either way, uh, it helps us have a better, clear understanding of God's righteous judgment in the sense of what is to come. The reason why we looked at that is because we see that the judgment that these people have as they looked upon the sinners of Romans chapter 1 was a, a, a judgment of condemnation. And we, we saw that Greek word and, and looked at that and, and understood that, that that's the type of judgment that is reserved for God, where God either condemns someone or not on that day. Uh, we, we're going to relook at that briefly as we uh, revisit verse 5 here in a few moments, but um, it gives us and should have given us a clear understanding um, as to the judgment that we are to have as believers of those of the church um, and those outside of the church, and then the judgment that is reserved for God. But what I want us to look at today or ask this question to have as a backdrop or a platform for us to spring off of into our passage this morning is this. Do you believe in God or do you have a belief in God? Do you believe in God or do you have a belief in God? Now You might be thinking, Pastor Raph, they're the same thing right? Uh, one's, one's a noun, one's a verb, right? But it's the same thing. Um, at one point, I, th I had the same understanding or reaction that you may be having now, but they are not the same. They have a different definition. They have a different meaning. That's why I asked that question. Do you believe in God or do you have a belief in God? To believe, uh, this word is a verb that means to have confidence in the truth. To have confidence in the truth. Versus a belief, a belief is a noun that means a religious faith or feeling of being uh, 
um, being about something that is true. So you, you, you believe it's true. You have a feeling that it, it might be true, but that's it. Do we see the difference? A lot of times, Christians or those that think that they are saved, they respond in such a way as uh, they believe that there is a God. A lot of people that I talk to and, and um, that I ask, it's like, oh, are you a Christian? And, a lot, and I know very quickly um, where they stand as a pastor uh, discerning the conversation when they say, well, I believe in God. Well, I believe in God. It was interesting because I recently, um, just a, a couple of weeks ago, a pastor um, that I know of, um, and I won't mention the name or the area, he's not in this town, but uh, posted a video about how our uh, belief in God and emotions are tied together and our, and, and, and our emotions dictate our belief and then our belief dictates what God is allowed to do in our lives and so on and so forth. And it just didn't make any sense and so that, but basically he was really pointing to just believe in God. Just believe in God. And so I wrote a lengthy um, uh, semi-theological response to his video. And one of the main points that I, I wanted to point out and that I point out to a lot, of, a lot of believers and a lot of unbelievers is, you know, the scriptures tell us even the demons believe and shudder. And a lot of times as Christians or even people who say they believe in God, don't even have that amount of fear or respect for God to shudder. Now that, that verse, that passage doesn't tell us, doesn't, doesn't try to, to prove anything or give an argument for um, salvation for demons, right? Or to reconcile them or to restore them. But it gives us an understanding that even the demons believe, but it takes more than a belief. It takes more than a simple belief in God or a belief in our faith. That's why, and I don't know if you, if you knew this up to this point, but this is why a lot of people say, well, I am a believer. I am a believer. I have confidence in the salvation that I have. I have confidence in the gospel of the Bible. I have confidence in my faith. And it really changes the way we see these two words, belief and believe. So, do you have a belief in your faith? Or do you believe in your faith? Do you have a belief in the gospel, or do you believe in the gospel? I'm not here to argue semantics or to split hairs, but I'm here to hopefully get the juices flowing, so to speak, to get the second hamster on the wheel upstairs and get the mind really thinking and processing on, wow, where do I really stand? What do I truly believe in? I'm not here 
to try to convince everyone they're not saved and they need to accept Jesus right here, right now. That is not the point of this message whatsoever. But I am here to say, hey, where are you? Where do you stand? Do you have confidence in the God of the universe, the Alpha, the Omega, the Creator? Do you believe? Before we jump into our passage this morning, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for our time thus far. May you continue to use your word in a mighty way to shape and mold us into the men and women you've called us to be. May we truly see and understand the message that Paul has for us here in verses 6 through 11. Lord, may you continue to show us the path and draw us closer to you. And may this message be of you and no one else. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 2. We'll be in verses 6 through 11. I'm going to read this passage and then we're going to jump into verse 5 and do a, I'm going to go through that briefly. Um, those that uh, were here and listened to the message last week, um, it should be a reminder or a recap for you. Those that have not heard the message from last week, I encourage you to do so, but this will help you be able to, to connect or segue into our passage this morning. But let's start off with our passage first in verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who, by patience and well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immorality, immortality, excuse me, honor and immortality, he will give eternal life, verse 8. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Now before we go any further, let's get into verse 5, and I'm going to read that um, to you, and then we're going to briefly review that with a supporting uh, passage, and then we'll dive into verses 6 and 7. Verse 5 of chapter 2, we're going to jump back here, okay? But because of your hard and impenitent, impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be re revealed, okay? So right in the beginning it says, because, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, okay? If you remember impenitent it's like the attitude in which, that you, in which you have, okay? You have a hardened heart, but also in your heart, you have this attitude of, of negativity, this attitude of against, and you can't accept anything that is just no changing it. I'm sure we all can relate somehow, or we can um, think of someone that we've tried to share the gospel with before or scripture with before and have this encounter. But this verse really sets us up for the transition into verses 6 and seven, as I previously mentioned. But last week, we concluded with verse five on how these moralists, right, these so-called good people were actually just 
as bad as the sinners in chapter 1. Now, Paul reveals to us how bad they are and how they store up wrath for themselves on the day of judgment, on the day of wrath. We had a comparison as to as believers store up treasures in heaven, so do sinners store up wrath for them as well. More wrath. We're going to dive and, and, and really look uh, into that in detail okay, today and next week. Now, on that day, God will render his just judgment on them. Okay, we read and looked at Revelations 20. So we're gonna, I'm going to take you there briefly, okay? And then I'll, I'll wrap up verse 5 and, and transition into verse 6 momentarily. But I want to take us over to Revelations chapter 20 as a reminder of what's going on. Revelations 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And remember, here is a key one, right? And books were opened. Okay? Next sentence. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. So we see the difference here between books and the book. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead, dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So we see very clearly that not all are saved, right? There are those whose names written in the book of life. This is those that are truly saved. Jesus is their what? Their Lord and their Savior, okay? They have a true salvation in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, okay? And then their name is written in the book of life. No one can take that Take your name out of the book of life. No one can blot it out. No one can change that. You either truly saved or you're not. If not, then you are in these other books. And these other books are used to determine what? The wrath in which you receive. Okay? Now, we must understand that this really begins to, to, to open things up a little bit more for us. Okay? And this is going to give us even more detail as we continue on here in chapter 2 of Romans, all right? So we see here in Revelations 20 that this is going to go on, and then when the time comes, right, all will be judged. All will be judged. If your name is written in the book of life, okay, it's a different judgment. It's not the same judgment as it is with those here that are not, their names are not written in the book of life. And basically this brings us to the next five verses. And these next five verses here in chapter 2, Paul really reminds us and continues to, to, to lay out in detail, right, of what this means, what it looks like, okay? Um, and then he goes even further on, on the Jew and the Gentile and so on and so forth. I don't want to give up too much of what's going to be coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks. But with that being said, Let's go to our passage 
for this morning. We're going to start with verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, to remind you, he will render to each one according to his works. Okay, so we see very clearly the transition there from 5 to 6. Now, we must look at the, the punctuation there in, uh, in verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works, right? And there's the, um, what is it, semicolon or whatever it is, the, the two dots, sorry. Uh, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. So it's almost like, okay, he's about to list some things, okay? So he does five, and then he concludes there, then he transitions to six, and he goes, okay, now I'm going to give you some lists, okay? There's two groups here, and then I'm going to elaborate on those two groups. So essentially he goes, okay, we're going to do this, then we get the two groups, verses seven and eight, and then he gives us a, a, another, um, another way of looking at it in a sense, or more detail, then he gives us those two groups again, in verses 9 and 10. And then he makes a cl very clear general statement in verse 11. So that's kind of how this is broken down, all right, and how we're going to make our way through it. And then he goes from there to make some more general statements on the judgment of these people and what's going on, and that will be our next message. And then he goes into a lot more detail on why and what that looks like for the Jew. That will be in the next two to three weeks. But with that being said, People may think they are good or come from a godly family or their works are sufficient, but they will be judged by their conduct and nothing else. One of the things that must see and they must understand, because I've heard this before, is, hey, are, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. It's like, oh, explain to me, you know, your conversion or your salvation. It's like, well, my parents are Christian. Basically, what they're telling me is that because their parents are Christian, they are Christian. It's a, it's a misunderstanding. Or just because someone goes to church all the time or they've gone to church their whole life, and that's another explanation that I've received, it's like, oh, talk to me about your, your conversion, your salvation. Well, I've gone to church my whole life. Okay, what does that mean? It, it, it comes to me now, but I, I, don't, I don't know the exact passage, but the scriptures actually tell us, be careful. Be careful of those that say, oh, I've gone to church my whole life, because then that implies you should know more. It's like, oh, you've been a Christian 30, 40, 50 years. Great. Your life should reflect it as such. People think all these different things or have these different understandings just because they go to church their whole life, just because they go to different classes, they go to different seminars, they do all these things, and essentially they gain all this knowledge, but their life does not reflect any of it. It does not save you. One of the things we must understand before we go any further, if we just take verses 6 through 11 and read it and study it all by itself, we can come to the conclusion or the understanding that we're saved by our works. But one of the things that we must understand, there's over 150 verses in the New Testament that contradict that. You are not saved by your works. I think for a lot of us believers that have um, been under my teaching, especially for, for the past few years, know that very, very clearly. Some of us so have a misunderstanding, or those might have a Catholic background, 
things that are based on works, beliefs that are based on works, this does and will not save you. If we take this passage by itself and study it all alone with no context, no background, no under, other understanding, it can be a huge misstep for the believer and unbeliever. So we must not do that. There are so many other passages in Scripture that show us and help us understand, and we will look at some of it, right? Not too much because I don't want to go that direction, right? But that say otherwise. Now, we must understand the context. What is the context? Paul is dealing with non-believers. Paul is dealing with those who've turned their backs on God, and God has completely abandoned them, as the Scriptures say, right? Left them to their own demise, to their total depraved minds, okay? So we must understand that. So going into this next passage, this is not a passage about salvation. It's a passage about judgment. Why? Because we go back to, to verses 1 through 5. And we see the transition there in the very first word of verse 1, therefore. And then it goes in. And it's talking about judgment. But it's give, Paul's giving us this because we, it should help us be able to discern or make the distinction between the two different types of judgment of those saved and those not saved. There's no middle road. There's a wide road well, many will go down to death and destruction, and there is a narrow road. A more um, literal translation or depiction of what that road looks like is it's like a turnstile type of line of those who are the remnants that have been chosen, those of salvation through Christ and Christ alone. So we must not get off to the wrong uh, path we must not be led astray. We must understand that we are not saved by works, but this passage is not, the context of this passage is not salvitic, even though it's going to have a lot of that to, so that we make sure things are clear and not misunderstood, but it's on judgment. It's on judgment. Now, not that you need reminding, but I just want to make all of that clear. Um. I will briefly touch some of it as we continue on, but I hope that's clear for us as we move forward. Um, but we must understand that good works do not, do not begin until a person is saved. Good works do not start until someone has sal a true salvation in Christ and Christ alone. And we looked at that briefly last week because we were dealing with the moralists, those who thought that they were, they were upstanding, you know, righteous in their own eyes, good citizens, but uh, deep down in, in the shadows uh, in their private lives, they are nothing, um, nothing but sinners, lost souls, those uh, that were actually the same, the scripture tells us, of those in chapter 1. But we must see and understand that as for the believers, nothing is good apart from Jesus. Nothing. Jesus makes this abundantly clear himself. We're going to look at this in John chapter 6. You can turn there now if you want to. But we must begin um, to understand, if we don't already have that understanding, is that there's nothing good apart from Christ. 
there's nothing good apart from Christ. We can't. As I've said before, it doesn't matter how many cars Oprah gives away or how many houses she buys for people or how much money she does this or that or how good or smiley she is or you know, changes people's lives. It doesn't matter how much good she does apart from Jesus Christ, the true salvation. She's not saved. She's condemned. If you have a problem with me saying that, then argue with God and the scriptures for it's not something that I'm making up. It's what God is. God will judge them, yes. But as a pastor, I can discern salvation. We need to be able to. That's how we need to understand. So if we need to work on someone's sanctification as opposed to their salvation, then we need to be able to make that determination. And we all should be able to have that discernment and that judgment. Shame on us as believers if we never seek to understand if someone's truly saved or not. I mentioned it before, one of the things I admire very much with Pastor Stephen is he always makes a point to hear somebody's testimony. Always. Well, tell me about your faith. Oh, when did you come to know Jesus? Always makes a point, even when he first started hanging out with me. Ask me. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm saved right? But he's very genuine with it. He's not, he's not uh, very dry, um, very legalistic, um, but he has a true uh, evangelist heart, if you know what I mean by that. That he cares so much about me, he wants to know if I'm saved or not, because he, he knows that, that that's of utmost importance, because if I'm not, he wants to make sure that that's part of his prayer, and that's part of his intentional time with me to share the gospel and each and every one of us should do the same some of us are better at it than others some of us it it comes naturally it's a giftedness i understand but it's not an excuse for us to not seek to do the same because god commands it turn me to john chapter 6 if you're not already there we're going to be in verse 28 there's an interesting encounter here um, Jesus is talking, going back and forth um, with those that are around him. And, and it says, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Okay, so they're, they're, they're coming to him in, a, in, a, in more of a Jewish, uh, pharisaical way or a legalistic way. And they're like, Okay, they, they want this salvation thing. What, what works do I need to do, right, to be in your good graces, to be saved, so to speak, right? For based on their understanding, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, okay? Now, we see very off, right in the beginning, this is the work of who? Of God. Not the work of us, this is the work of God, right? That they believe in Jesus, they believe in him. So they said to him, because they weren't getting it, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? So they're saying, well, you want us to believe in you, but you need to prove to us that you're the one we need to believe in, right? It's like, wait a second, go back a few verses, it says, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So they came to him asking what they need to do, 
And he tells them, and he's like, well, what makes you so special? Why do we need to believe in you? So first they, they believed in him, but now they don't believe in him. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, we can continue to read and see how they don't get it, but Jesus is very clear that, look, there's no works that you can do. It's salvation first. Salvation first. We must understand that one salvation needs to be of the utmost importance to each and every one of us, starting with ourselves. This is one of the the pet peeves that I have in churches, and I've been in, served in churches before where this is, this is a common, common thing to where, well, we're going to allow this person to serve on the, the church band because they're skilled at an instrument or they're skilled at singing in hopes that they experience Jesus and they become saved. Well, I'm going to allow this person to come and do this ministry because they're really good at it and in and, and hopes that we can, we can witness to them and they will be saved. And the thing is, is that they think they're doing a good thing, but they're not. How are they even serving? Why can't we even call it the word serve? That's, it contradicts Scripture. We can't do that. Salvation is first. Salvation is first then good works follow. A lot of Christians don't believe that. A lot of times they believe they need to begin to start doing good works to find, to receive salvation. And once they have salvation, then the good works kind of dwindle. You ever witness that? You ever experience that? So if the unsaved are judged by works, then they will have nothing of value. You see the contrast. It's the same thing, right? And we're going to see that as Paul continues to break that down for us as we move through our passage this morning, right? And this is why we're spending a lot of time for the believer. As a believer, no good works exist apart from Christ. They don't. Scripture tells us that. Jesus tells us that. We must accept that. We must understand that. So therefore, what? We need to make salvation of the utmost importance. So then because of that, if we take a contrast to the unbeliever to the unrighteous in which we're going to see in the rest in the the preceding verses um, then unbeliever can do nothing good nothing good it's not like they come and they take out the books of judgment and we see this in revelations 20 in which we read earlier and it says okay well you did 110 things good and you only did 99 things bad so you're going to go on the shallow end of the lake of fire, right? That's not how it works. It's everything's bad. So it's not necessarily well, how good and bad you were. It's 
How bad are you? This is the judgment of the lost. Yes, their condemnation is hell, right? Their, their eternity is hell. Their eternity is, is a, a forever separation from God, right? But then how bad will it be? It's almost like there's different levels, so to speak. So if the unsaved are judged by works, right, then they will have nothing of value. All of their so-called righteous acts are seen as filthy rags, as seen as filthy rags. I'm going to take you, I don't have it up here, but I, I, there's, a, there's a passage coming to mind. I'm going to take us there. You can look up the filthy rags passage because it's a different one, but I'm going to take you to a parallel passage in Philippians chapter 3. Okay, some of you might, might know this one um, fairly well. It is a common one. And, and, and I, I love this depiction here Paul gives um, basically of his own life, so to speak. Philippians chapter 3, it's, it's not up there, don't worry about it, okay? But you can turn there, I'll write it down. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 4, it's, or it's the second half of verse 4. It says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Right? Paul, the chief of sinners, okay, verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted, I counted as loss for the sake of what? Of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Can it be any clearer than this? Paul is basically saying, look, I did everything according to the world and how the world judges me, I was blameless. I was blameless. But guess what? To God, it's nothing. It's rubbish, right? It's dung, depending on your translation. Okay? Scrupulos. You can look up the, the Greek word for that. But it, it, it gives us a sense that, man, Paul had it all. He was born into it. He had it. He was raised. He was doing great things. He was on the rise. And we all know about the road to Damascus. And his comparison to all of that is it is trash. It's worthless. It has no value when compared to Christ. And see, this is the thing where we begin as Christians, we have a belief, but we don't truly believe. Why? Because we're still clinging to the things of this world. We're still worried about who thinks or what they think about us 
in this world. We're still worried about our reputation in this world. We're still worried about the things that we have in this world. We're still worried about how comfortable we can live in this world. But what it comes down to is they're nothing but filthy rags. They're nothing but filthy rags. So do we believe or do we have a belief? They're those that are completely separated from God that don't have a belief. It doesn't matter if they do good or not. They're condemned by their sin. Their sin of what? First, they're condemned by the sin of rejecting the gospel, rejecting Christ. Then the rest of their sins will ultimately determine the degree of their punishment. Believers are judged in a similar way, as we mentioned before, but it's a completely different contrast, right? They're seen through Christ and, and only godly righteousness, right? Even though there's a lot of us, there's a lot of Christians out there, right? And, and we still sin, we still, have, we still stumble, we still have shortcomings, um, we still have backslidden seasons of life, right? And I've preached on that before. It's not about perfection, but it's about seeking a perfect God, a perfect Savior to be Christ-like, but understanding that God sees us through Christ. So even though we may not be righteous here, but we seek righteousness, but positionally we are righteous because we have Christ. And on that day of judgment, those that are not in the book of life, right, they're immediately seen, okay, you're not in the book of life, so then over here, you're over here. And it's like, okay, your name's in the book of life, you're over here. And the only determining factor between the two books is not that the, the books separate them, it's Christ separates them. And that's an immediate discernment, that's an immediate judgment that God makes. Then from there is that next judgment should always remind us of what? The master and the servants and where the master goes away and leaves stuff for the servants and then they go and do stuff with them, but one squanders it out of fear and does nothing because he doesn't want to lose anything. And the master comes back and he rewards the first two, well done, good and faithful servants. And he calls the other one lazy and wicked. We must understand that there's a judgment once saved, then comes the good works, but good works as God sees them. Good works as, God's, as God sees them. I'm all for celebrating and uh, being thankful for the blessings that God gives us and the way that he uses people, but a lot of times those that do things in church do them for the accolades of man for the rewards of the world for reputation but see we have to understand that good works are the good works seen by god not by us scripture tells us that god will burn up all of our good works that have nothing right to us they're good works but to him they're they're nothing and he will burn them up and only the pure and precious will 
persevere through the flames, through the fire. So we must continue to understand as we live as believers that it's not how the world sees them. It's not how you see them. It's how God sees them and judges them. Our good works, their good works are a result of their salvation. That's one of the things that I always try to help people to to understand this better is, look, we do good works out of the love we have for Jesus. And the more we can understand the cross and the sacrifice that has been made on our behalf, the more in love we fall with Jesus. And the more in love we fall with Jesus, the bigger the desire that grows within us to want to sacrificially serve him. Serve him. How? Time, treasure, and talents. How are we using our time? How are we using our resources? It's not just money, things we have, right? Our talents. What are the the spiritual gifts that we have and how is God convicting us and leading us to use them? We cannot be a lump on a log Christian. We must live as God calls us to and as the Holy Spirit guides and convicts us to live in accordance to our salvation. So Paul gives us a contrast and an understanding so that the people of Rome have a clear, clear understanding of these different types of people because their culture, the society was so corrupt, was so corrupt, especially the the intellects, the higher-ups, right, was so corrupt. We saw what a lot of that corruptness look like, right, in Romans chapter 1. We don't need to keep going back there. If you, you, you haven't listened to the messages over the past several weeks, I encourage you to go online and, and, and listen to them or at least go back and study and read Romans chapter 1. But Paul gives us this clear picture of the life and works of a true believer as well. You see, first it's the gospel, it's Jesus, right? You either accept him or reject him, okay? Then after that, it's righteousness or unrighteousness. It's very clear. It's very simple. There's no if, and, or buts about it. It's something that Paul, from the beginning of the book of Romans, makes it very, very clear. And a lot of times, we don't like it so so black and white. We don't like it that clear, right? Because we, we like to make excuses. We like to think of what ifs, right? And Paul's saying, look, it, it's time to stop doing that. This is what God tells us. This is who God is. This is what he teaches. There's believers and non-believers. This is how it works. This is what it looks like. Not for us to give up hope, right? God is the one that makes the final judgment and the condemnation and the one who completely pulls back and abandons. We are to be faithful in prayer, 
and sharing of the gospel, loving the lost, but with what? Not to build up our friend list on social media, but to share the gospel with. That should be our attitude, our intentions, and our motives. So we see that contrast going into verse 8. So we saw the beginning of that in verse 7 with the believer, and we already talked about a lot of the unbeliever, and I know I already hit that a lot, and basically kind of breaking down verse 8 already. I'm gonna, so I'm just going to briefly spend a little time on verse 8 before we jump into the next contrast of verses 9 and 10, but I'm going to read it here for you as we continue on in our passage together. Verse 8. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be wrath and fury. So now we see uh, more of the contrast to verse 7, right? And essentially you can take verse 7 and verse 8 and then put them, stack them on top or put them side by side, however your brain likes it, so to speak, and read one and then the other. And we can see that contrast, right? When we go into verse 9 and 10, uh, Paul in, 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 inverts them, so to speak, and we'll see that briefly. Um, but those who reject the gospel and commit sinful acts, we see that here in verse 8. We see that right in the beginning of the verse. They deny the truth. They do not obey the truth. Okay? That's a direct reference, the word truth there, to the gospel, to salvation, right? To Jesus, they obey what? Unrighteousness, okay? This is, this is um, reminiscent, right, of Romans chapter 1 or the second half of Romans chapter 1. They obey unrighteousness. They do not obey the truth. They look, does this look and sound familiar? We can look very clearly in society today. It doesn't take us long to watch the news for five minutes and see how the world is beginning to be more acceptable to unrighteousness, to denial of truth. It's one of the reasons why we are called as believers to make sure we judge, we discern, right? We're in God's word, okay, we're in prayer, so then we can be able to identify, right, false, things that are false, things that are untrue, unrighteousness, twisting and manipulating of the truth of God's holy word. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 16. And it, it, it's a, a little long, but bear with me, okay? Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them 
by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, right, who is in heaven. Now, I went one verse past because I want us to see the context of what Jesus is teaching here. He's talking about false teachers, false prophets, those that are wolves in sheep's clothing, those that go against truth. We must judge, we must discern. This must be a warning to each and every one of us. Have you ever been to the store and seen you go to buy some apples and one set of apples, the sign says, diseased tree apples. The other one says, you know, old granny apples or Fuji apples or crisp, right? Whatever you, which one you like and which one are you going to buy? Are you going to buy the diseased tree apple or the one that is not a diseased tree? See, here's the thing. For some reason, we have been duped by society and our culture to think that the diseased tree is the healthy tree. And the things in the world and the things that we see going on and the things that are acceptable and pleasing to what? To the world, to the lost, to the fallen, we have been duped to think that that is a healthy thing. As Christians, we should be able to have the discernment we should be able to heed the warning to identify the diseased tree, the unhealthy fruit. We should be able to see when things are not good in comparison comparison to what? To Scripture, to Jesus. Not in comparison to this person and this person and that person and this person, that church and this church. We must rely on God's word and God's word alone. Don't be led astray. This is why I always tell each and every one of you, we must have a biblical worldview. We must view everything in the world through God's word. We must. We must. So we see the contrast here in the understanding of the lost and the saved and the judgment, and we're going to see another contrast here in verses 9 and 10. You can turn back with me to Romans 2, if you're not there already. Romans chapter 2, our next two verses that we're going to look at, verse 9. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek, verse 10. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. Now, Paul repeats God's verdict basically concerning the saved and the unsaved, right? And their what? Works, okay? This tribulation, um, this anguish, right? Who does Paul say it's for? It's for everyone, everyone who does evil. Now, we must take this in context with the previous two verses, verses 7 and 8. Those who what? Reject the truth, right? Those who do not what? 
obey truth. They obey unrighteousness. So they reject the gospel. They are lost, right? We're talking about judgment, okay? And it says this tribulation, right? This, this, this anguish, this, this uh, judgment is going to be for everyone who does evil. Apart from Christ, you can do no good. Here, Paul stresses again that the evil works come from an evil heart of unbelief, of an outward expression of one's inward attitude towards Jesus. And a lot of times we get confused with that, right? A lot of times we get confused with um, how someone makes us feel, uh, how uh, someone does something that we don't necessarily agree with, and therefore we're judging them based on our own opinions, based on our own emotions versus God's word. And we looked at that judgment. We looked at that plank in our own eye before we go and try to deal with the speck in our brother's eye. Why is that? Because when we go to help the speck in our brother's eye, we end up knocking them out with the plank in our own eye. God wants us to deal with ourselves first. God wants us to make sure we are right with him before we can go try to help others be right with him. We must understand through grace and mercy and the love of God that this is something that we need to not only be able to identify, to see, and understand, but a lot of times our judgment of others is based on our emotion and not God's word. A lot of times how we see or feel about things dictates our quote-unquote theology or our doctrine, and it should not be. This is why so many have turned, so many have left, so many have abandoned the true church, the gospel. It's something that we must reconcile, something that we must see, that the actions, they're typically a true reflection of the attitude of the heart but we must be able to take that and put it into God's word and see, okay, where does it line up? How does it filter through? As opposed to our own emotion, our own bias, our own understanding. The discernment must come through God's word. Now, the part that Paul states, the Jew first, and then also the Greek, is a reference um, basically to, to the order in which God's favor came upon them, right? So in the Old Testament, the, the, the people of Israel, the Israelites or the Jewish people were God chosen. Now we can see through the Old Testament how much they failed, how much they abandoned God and they went back and forth and all these different things. Uh, but they were the ones that were chosen first. And we see in the New Testament, the new gospel, right? It's open up to everyone. So we see here it says first the Jew and then the Greek. Well, where are they? They're in Rome, right? Paul's writing this letter to who? All Romans, okay? Specifically, um, the church or churches, I should say, in Rome. So these Greeks, right? Or these Gentiles uh, or heathens or however you want to label them. But basically, it's just saying first the Jews and then everybody else. Paul's saying this just because that is the the order in which God approached salvation. Now, we must understand this, that 
they're going to be dealt with the same way. There are some differences, okay? Um, you'll see a little bit next week, but more the week after where we get a, a lengthy piece of Scripture and here in Romans chapter 2 that's dealing specifically with the Jewish people, right? Okay? Um, as I said, be careful by saying, well, I was born a Christian, right? So then you should, because you've had the truth longer, then your life should look very, very different, right? If you are continuing to grow in that sanctification process, right? Um, and it, but that's a, a, a double standard within itself, right? Being born a Christian, no one is born a Christian. Um, but in the same way, the Jews have had the, the gospel, so to speak. They've had salvation. They've had this way from many, 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 many years. But we can see how difficult it is to convert those of the Jewish faith because they denied Christ. A lot of them did and still reject Christ even to this day. Um, as we continue to look at this contrast, we must understand the magnitude in which the wrath that the lost are storing up for themselves, right? The wrath that they're storing up for themselves as God will open up the books and judge them accordingly. For every human being who does evil, the Jew first, and then the Greek, they will what? They will be going through tribulation, distress, all of them. They will all have to deal with it. As God's chosen people, the Jew is mentioned first, and, and we know why, and we see that, and we'll get to more of that later. Um, but both will be judged and punished the same way. In accordance to those that are saved, the Jew first, and then the Greek, as we see uh, in verse 10, um, they will be judged the same way, but what? From a Salvitic standpoint as believer. We'll see more of this next week, but verse 10 gives us the same expected contrast that Paul continues to go through and gives us um, that he is notorious for, uh, but we must not see it as favoritism. Um, we're going to look at that in, in closing in, in verse 11. But one of the things that as we look at verses 7 and 8 and then transition into verses 9 and 10, that just because it says Jew and then the Greek or Jew and then Greeks, right? It doesn't mean um, that Jews are above, right? That converted Jews are above anyone else. Yes, there's a special place for them. There's this and that. And God tells us that as God's chosen people. And he deals with them, and there's all these other special things. But in a sense, um, they're dealt with the same way. There's not a, a, another book of life called the, 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 the Jewish book of life, right? It's just the book of life. And all the names of those that are converted, that are believers, their names will be in there. And God's judgment is impartial. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to turn there and... Read that as we segue into um, verse 11, our last verse of our passage this morning. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10.
Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what is going on here? So the, the centurion comes and he's like, hey, can you, can you help me? And he's seeking help from Jesus, who it's like, wait a second. You've just heard of this guy, right? So you already have this belief that he can help, right? And who is he trying to help? He's trying to help one of his servants, right? He's paralyzed. Like, look, can you help me? You need to come. And he has this faith, this belief, right? He believes. And then Jesus takes this as a teachable moment as he comes to him and he's saying these things, right? And Jesus says, look, there are many from Israel, right? that don't have, there are Jewish people that don't have the belief that this man has. They're not. And this man, there are going to be people like him that are going to come and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They're, they're going to be there in heaven, but there are those that are of the kingdom here on earth, right? The sons of the kingdom, okay? And it's not capitalized, it's not mentioning those of Jesus, it's not mentioning those of God's kingdom, but he says those are going to be cast into outer darkness. This is a reference of hell. Why? What is he saying? He says just because you are Jewish people, you are God's chosen people, doesn't mean you are chosen. Just because you do all these religious things, it doesn't mean you are a believer are going to be judged accordingly. This man's going to be judged just as you are going to be judged. It doesn't matter if you are Jewish or not. It doesn't matter if you're of Israel or not. Thing is, is we need to have an understanding that God's judgment is impartial. It does not matter. It does not matter of our status. It does not matter about our our position, how good-looking we are, how much money we have, how many times we go to church. And if our attitude is, oh, well, God's going to say, God, God saves me, and he doesn't say I have to go to church, and our attitude is that, then you have the wrong attitude. You don't have a renewed heart, a renewed mind. I've talked to so many people that are like that. It's like, oh, you know, God never said this, and I'm like, he does. If you're in Scripture, you would see that He commands us to, to gather corporately and to worship Him. It's one of the biggest problems I have with our governor and, and the, what he's done to our churches. I won't get on that soapbox this morning, but we have to understand this. If in our heart we take such things like this and our heart is already in the wrong place, does that mean you're not saved? I don't know. It could could be a red flag for you to 
to check your spiritual heartbeat. But as we see Paul stating in verse 11, okay, and I've already kind of transitioned there, but it says, for God shows no partiality. We see that God shows no partiality. It's not about your works. Nothing about your works saves you because you can do no good works apart from Jesus. Ah, just because you have a belief in God doesn't mean you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior. So many people say, well, I believe in God. I believe in God. Yes, but do you believe in Jesus? Not a belief, but believe. You have confidence in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Now let's talk about good works. If not, then everything that you do on this earth, you're just storing up more wrath for you on the day of judgment. doesn't matter how much money you have. doesn't matter what you look like, where you come from, who your parents are. None of that matters. What matters is Christ. And God plays no favorites when it comes to these things. It's very clear and something we should be able to understand. We all live... We all will die, and then we all will live forever. I'm not sure if you understand that or not. We all live, we all die, then we will all live forever, whether in heaven or hell, in accordance, not because of, but in accordance to our works done here on this earth. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. We need to get our eyes off of one another and get them more on Christ. We cannot and should not look at, look at others that way. We cannot. We serve. We serve. We live our life in accordance to and serve and serve. Who? What? Christ. The Bible. Don't worry about people doing all the bad things. It's so many conversations that I've had, even recently, more than any other time, is, well, look at the bad, look at how bad, look at what they're getting away with. Uh, As a Christian, we should never think, look at what they're getting away with. Because God tells us they're storing up wrath for themselves. He's a righteous God. They will get what's due to them. We saw a lot of that in our previous message. But the thing is, is in our own minds, we think it needs to be done a certain way in a certain time. And all that's doing is distracting us from what we should be doing is what? Focusing on Christ to live out our faith. But no, we're so caught up in how others should be judged and all the sin going on around us. 
God tells us that this is going to happen. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. Listen to the messages, if you haven't already, in Romans chapter 1 that I taught on. It's so clear. Don't get distracted. Don't be confused. As believers, we need to focus on our relationship with God and how we are living it out amongst other believers. That's priority. That's priority. Yes, we are to go and make disciples. Right. But we need to get this right and the body of Christ right so then, therefore, we can be more effective when we go out. That's why it's so important for us to gather and fellowship with one another. True biblical fellowship, true biblical discipleship is key to a healthy church. The thing is, is that if we don't believe that, we don't embrace that, we don't live it out, you only hurt yourself, and then you begin to hurt the church because you have a purpose. You are part of the body. You are part of what God has ordained to be this living organism to function as one in the community in which we live in. So how do you, or how about you, are you ready? Are you ready to be judged? That's one of the things that weighs on me from time to time. Man, if, if God took me right now, would it be well done, good and faithful servant? Or the latter? And that, to me, that's convicting. I don't know if it's convicting for you or not. For me, it is. It's like, man, it's not so that I can, well, I need to go do more good works. It's not about that. Remember, good works come. Good works are, are an overflow from what our relationship and our love for God. That's where they should come from. Not out of an attitude or a heart to, to receive accolades, rewards, a heightened view from people that we interact with but how God views us. So do you truly believe? Or is it just a belief? Do you truly believe? Or is it just a belief? We're going to close with 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not 
commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. May that sink in. Do we believe or just have a belief? Does the world around us accept us? Because it says if it does, then it's for them. If it doesn't, then we are not in our right mind. Because the lost cannot understand the works of the Lord and the Holy Scriptures. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us in our time together this morning. May we not be worried about semantics. May we not be worried about simple definitions of words. But may we truly heed the conviction of the Holy Spirit and your word, Lord God. That we are the only ones that can act upon those convictions. So may we truly see the path that you have for each and every one of us and the desire that you have for each and every one of us. And may we draw closer to you. Lord God, you know better than anyone else that we are not perfect. But may we have a true desire to seek your face, to be more like your son each day. Thank you for loving us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.